Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I have to give a shout out to my beautiful friend, Ryan Hartley in the UK, because he said to me one day, Deb, why haven't you had Bob Berg on the show? And simple answer, I didn't know Bob, but I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He shares a subtle shift in focus and is not only uplifting and fulfilling in the way he chooses to conduct business, but the most financial, profitable way as well. For 30 years, Bob has helped companies and sales leaders and their teams to become more effective with their communication, sell at higher prices with less resistance, and grow their business based on endless referrals. Bob has regularly addressed audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders and broadcast personalities. After many, many years, he has been well-known for his book, Endless Referrals, and his business parable, The Go-Giver. So, Bob, welcome to Imperfect. Thank you, Deb. What an honor to be with you. And and since you're Canadian, when I say honored, I spell that with an O-U-R. Absolutely. I love it. And <laughs> I'll try and not end my sentences with A. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You can do that as much as you want. I'll even uh, get you a, a cup of coffee from Timmy's. There you go. You, you've done your Canadian history. I oh, love I it. I love visit. I, I, you know, for, for years and I, I don't really travel much anymore, Deb, but for years I, I spoke in Canada, you know, quite often, just always enjoyed myself so much. The people were always so kind and welcoming to me. That's wonderful. It's nice to hear. Thank you for sharing. You are one of the most, 30 most influential leaders around the world. You're one of the top 200 most influential authors in the world by Richtopia. And you're such an advocator and supporter and such a heart-centered leader. So my first leadership question for you is, share with us where the idea for Go-Giver came and how it landed in your heart to bring it to fruition. Well, many, many years ago, I I had my first book, Endless Referrals, which was a a how-to book. And it was really for entrepreneurs and salespeople. They knew they had a great product or service, Deb. They, they knew it brought wonderful value to people, but they didn't necessarily, necessarily feel comfortable or confident in going out into their local communities and developing the kinds of relationships with people that would result in their wanting to to do business with them directly and or refer them to others. So uh, in the Endless Referrals book was a system for doing that. And it was built on a basic premise that is uh, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. 
and the analyst referral system was simply sharing with them how to get to that point in a way that was very confidence building for them, very comfortable for them. You know, again, it was a how-to book and I'd always read parables since I'd been in sales. I enjoyed reading, reading business parables and always, you know, I think we all know that, that stories connect on a, a deeper level than a how-to book does. And, and whenever I'd read a parable, I always felt a connection with the author, with the message, even with the characters who were fictional. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take the, the basic, the no like, and trust premise from endless referrals and put that into a parable. So you know, the first thing entitling it was just asking, so what is the what is the essence of that entrepreneur or sales professional, those who are able to quickly and sustainably create those no like and trust relationships? And what it came down to is that they are givers. They're always looking to give value to others. So coming up with, you know, the title, The Go-Giver was, was very natural. But the best thing I did for the book was to ask John David Mann, who was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I used to write for, I wrote a monthly column for them, was to ask him to be the lead writer and storyteller. Because again, I'm a how-to guy, all right? I'm step one, step two, step three. Uh, John is a magnificent storyteller and writer. And uh, fortunately, he said yes, <laughs> and and uh, you know we were able to put it together. So that's really where the inspiration came from. Well, and what I love about that is we have heard doing business with people. They want to they want to work with people. They want to build relationships with people that they know, like, and trust. And you can have such a large sales team, and some do it well some really struggle and some just want to back themselves in the corner. And it's something that I love to talk about on the show about heart-centered leadership and what that definition is. And to me, it is honoring, spelt the Canadian way, (laughs) your connection with people and not, not starting the relationship with a transactional approach, but actually just talking and listening more importantly. So it's so interesting the way that you frame that And the people that do that, I also think that they've exercised and honed the virtue of patience. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're very correct. And, you know, law number three in the go-giver, the law of influence, says that your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. You know, that sounds very counterintuitive when you first hear that, right? And yet you think about it, the greatest leaders, you know, the top influencers, the consistently high producing money earning salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their businesses. They're, they're always looking out for the other person and how they can make that person's life better. Now, let me clarify that and qualify it because I think it can also easily be misunderstood. When we say place the other person's interests first, We certainly don't mean that you should be anyone's doormat uh, or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. That's absolutely not what we're talking about. It's just that as Joe, the protege in the story, learned from several of the mentors, and as you just, as you made reference to, the golden rule of business, of sales, of leadership, of input, what have you, is that, again, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Now, here's the thing. There's no faster more powerful or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by genuinely and, of course, authentically moving from what we call an 
I focus or me focus to an other focus. Looking to, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. And again, when it comes from a place of, of a heart center, as you talk about, okay, when it's who you are, and because it's who you are, it's what you do, right? But it comes from a set of values. Now, you know, we're talking about a person who's really in a position to form these wonderful, wonderful relationships with others. Absolutely. And when I was 24, I started my company. And the onset or the outcome, the reason I did was I had a boss who was not what you just described. And she used to say to me, you give too much. You're too nice. You're too friendly. You're too gregarious. You know, there, there needs to be more of a seriousness. And I grew up with an Irish Nana that said, you always give. The more you give, the more you get, the more gratitude you give. And it's always about the other person. And I can remember learning that back to his young and tender age of eight. And I'm glad that I had that experience with mm -hmm. that last mm -hmm. boss that I had because I wouldn't have gone out on my own. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so find, find the, you know, the beautiful opportunity sitting on the other side of those barriers when you're open to see, and it's just taking that, that leap of faith. Right. So, so interesting. Now, my next question, Bob has permanent residency on the show. And I, I have asked it right back to season one and episode one with Susan Steinbrecher, who's in my, in my heart, the founder of Heart-Centered Leadership, because she wrote a beautiful book on it. What imperfections does Bob bring to his Heart-Centered Leadership? Oh, I mean, my imperfections are so, you know, it's almost like I want to say, let me count the ways. And I've tried to work on so, so many of them. So what would I start with? I think I have, a, I have the, the natural tendency to micromanage and try to, you know, do all things because I think I can do it, you know, better. And of course I, I can't, <laughs> and I'm actually very fortunate to have people around me who knows, know so much more in, uh, in different areas. And I think that's how a team is really, you know, is really built, but I do have that, that natural tendency to want to do that and to look over shoulders and say, no, no, let's, you know, dot this I here and do this, this and that. And one thing I've had to really learn is that if you want to bring out the best in others, to empower others, to really create that environment where people feel good about what they're doing and that they're going to do, you've got to be able to, to kind of let things go when they can be let go. Now, again, and I don't want that to be misinterpreted, the important things that must be, no, of course, but you, you've got to be able to what I call 80% it sometimes. And just, you know, let people make mistakes that they're going to then learn from and to, to, for people to grow and to be able to. And, and the more you, you kind of have to control everything, well, you know, the, the less effective everybody's going to be. So I, I would say that's my biggest imperfection. And, uh, you know, I've worked on it and I think I've gotten a lot better at it. I think I, I can still get a lot better, too. Absolutely. And, and, and that's one that we've talked about quite a bit over the last year and a bit uh, on the show. And I think we all have remnants of that in our personality, whether it be in our personal life or in, in our businesses. So it's a good one. And it's one to always keep in the forefront. And that's why we surround ourselves with amazing teams. So great answer. 
Okay, third question. What would you do differently if you were starting out in your industry today? A great question, because remember, I've been doing this for over 30 years and things were, well, the principles always remain the same. Things were much different in terms of technology and ability to you know, connect on different levels with different people. So I think what I would do is I would get more technology comfortable. Okay, because that was not something I kind of went in kicking and screaming into the, you know, and it really at first hurt my business because I, I, when I started, I built a pretty good business and I'd say by the late nineties, I mean, I was really on a roll and that's about where, where the technology, where the internet really began to take form and, th- and things were really moving over to a more technology based type. And I just didn't want it to happen. I refused to change. And I, you know, got a little bit like, well, my clients will stick with me and, you know, it will be fine. I can do. And you know what? I lost a lot of business. Uh, The world moved on without me. And I kind of had to start from scratch again. And, you know, it's, and so even today, you know, it's not that I enjoy change. You know, sometimes I get a little mad at the personal development uh, genre, which, you know, you and I are, are, are both part of. Because there's that, it's what I call the political correctness of the personal development industry. And that is that everything is, is good, right? <laughs> you know, change, change is great. Oh, absolutely wonderful. Just, well, you know what? I hate change. <laughs> I like to get really good at something and then just keep on going, right? But it's not the point. You don't have to like change. You just have to be willing to do it if you want the results that you want. And so uh, that delay really hurt me and set me back. I would right away get, uh, I would embrace technology. Now, again, I don't think technology drives anything. It's always the relationship. Utilizing technology correctly just helps you drive the relationship uh, much faster and much more sustainably. You know, people don't do business with and refer business to those computers they know, like, and trust, but to the people who are, you know, at them, in front of them. Nonetheless, because technology is a thing and and provides us with so many advantages, I would get a lot more comfortable a lot earlier with technology. We likely both had a really nice fax machine and Rolodex. I remember that, Bob, and I I was with you. It It was a transition for sure, you know. Change is scary, but you still have to participate. Such a good, such a good statement that you made there. And sometimes it's fun to start over. I know there's pain and discomfort there, but when you look at things through the eyes of a different modality, I think you've done pretty good. I think you came back stronger than before. (laughs) I would agree. Okay. My last leadership question which people or books have had the most influence on your growth and why? Okay. So I would, in terms of people, I would start out with uh, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Brian Tracy. These were the people who, when I was really coming up in sales, this is before I was speaking, but just, you know, when I first got into sales, these were the people who were the, you know, the, the biggies. And I got to learn a lot from them. So I'm very, very thankful for that. Different books you know, written by those authors. Uh, but I'd also say that, that books such as How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the first ones I read you know, by Dale Carnegie was, a, was big for me. It kind of really helped me understand the elements of, of basic elements of human nature, right? I think when, when Mr. Carnegie wrote 
in his book, he wrote, ultimately, uh, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Well, you know, what did that really say? That, that great salesmanship or great leadership is never about the salesperson or the leader. It's always about the other person, right? And that's where we need to, to put our, our focus. There are books like Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, which really shared with me how the, the mind works in terms of how run we are by our unconscious belief systems, and that we'll never achieve more than our most limiting belief, right? And, you know, so these books just were, were so foundational to, you know, the success I'd be fortunate to, to uh, have later on. So, uh, you know, I'm a big book reader. I love, love reading and love learning. And so I, I think those were really, you know, the ones that were foundational for me. Well, and, and people can't see you, but you're, you're sitting in front of a beautiful library of, of books yeah. behind you. And, you. and I'm the same. I've got a big bookshelf in my office and, and love to read. I'm an avid reader. And I, I think we get lost and kind of in limber, if you will, if, if we don't keep feeding our minds and love reading all different types of genres from different authors and and some of your influencers have been mine as well. Mm -hmm. And I had recently watched an interview with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates had asked him what was one of the best books he ever had read in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And he said the same book as you that yeah. you know how to win friends and influence people that that was life changing for him because he's he's not a, a gregarious kind of fellow. He's an introvert and he likes his office and his numbers. So it's always interesting to me that we're so different as people, yet we're drawn to the same type of authors and books. And I just think it it just it leads a foundation for our leadership as a whole. Beautifully stated. I'm going to switch to my fab four now. And these are just four fun questions. We want to see what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Okay. <laughs> First question. Tell us something that we do not know about Bob. That I am very much actually an introvert. People assume I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm absolutely not. I, I join you. I cannot even tell you how many people have been on this show that are leaders in different sectors from different different ends of the globe. And most of the leaders have been introverts. I am a full-fledged INFJ on the Myers-Briggs. We're a, we're a rare breed, but I'm always interested that people have the perception because you're outgoing or you speak or you're an author that they automatically think and perceive that we're extroverts. So isn't that interesting? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that. Mm -hmm. This next question is kind of fun. And I just want to know the first one that comes to your mind. Share with us your favorite memory. Oh, wow. Favorite memory. It would have something to, to do with uh, me being somewhere with my parents and our family dog. And, you know, probably backward, you know, when I was about three or four years old, I seem to remember so many neat things about that. So many feelings around that. So I can kind of picture some things in my mind, but some of them, I'm not sure if they really happened or, or didn't. My, my mom tells a great story. Uh, and again, I, I, I kind of do remember it only because she's told me so much, but I don't know if I really remember it or if it was just a favorite story of hers. But I was about, I guess, three or four years old and we had a, our Doberman, Sam, who was the dog, one of the dogs I grew up with, but he was just a puppy. 
and I was sitting outside on the front lawn and we had these things and this might just be a New England. And I grew up in New England, even though I live in Florida now, we had these things called hoodsies, which were these ice cream things in a little plastic dish. And it had a little, when you opened it, it had a little plastic spoon, you know, that you could get. And so I'm on, mom's looking out the, the kitchen window and I'm on the, the uh, grass, Sam's, Sam's looking at me and I'm taking a bite of, of the hoodsie of the ice cream for myself. And then digging in and giving a bite to Sam, who's licking it off the thing. And then a bite for me and a bite for Sam, a bite for me. And mom yells out and goes, Bobby, stop feeding Sam your ice cream. And I guess I looked at her and I went, why? And she said, because you don't want him to get your germs. And I went, oh, okay. Well, that was good enough for me. We wouldn't want Sam to get my, my germs. And uh, so I, I, I kind of have that as a, you know, a fun memory, <laughs> even though again, I don't know if I really remember it or if I just, it's been suggested to be so much. But how fun to be so young and have such a nice memory and, ha- and have your mom recall that. That's yeah. funny. That's a great story. <laughs> what a lovely memory. Okay. My, I don't believe in bucket lists. I believe in life lists. And I talk a lot about living a life by design. So share with us a wish that's on your life list. You know, I guess a wish would be I mean, this is uh, this is not a, a going places or doing things. I have no list like like that at all. My my wish is that the world would become a lot more cognizant of what we put our animal, our non-human brothers and sisters through, in order to uh, have food, entertainment, testing, and all these different things, which I think is just horrifying what we as humans have done in that regard, and nobody seems to know. And, you know, and I think of the nicest people in the world having a, a stake and not recognizing the horrible, monstrous conditions that the cows grew up, you know, grew up in or the pigs or the what have you. My wish would be that the world would come to know really what goes on behind the scenes in terms of whether it's animal testing, dairy farms and, and all those different things, which is, you know, why with me personally, I would never again eat ice cream or dairy or meat or anything like that. And so that would be my wish. And I realize it's not a fun, fun answer, but that that would be if I had a wish and something I think of constantly, that would be it. Well, and I commend you on that because I know that that's a passion for you. And I know that you've served on the board of directors for Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in Juniper, Florida. And, and I agree with you. But the, the bigger message for me and, and what I love that you shared is this is part of you being heart-centered. It's part of your passion. It's part of your love. And sometimes our wish, whether it be on our life list or how we choose to live life by design, it's not going to be happy to everybody's ears, but that's okay. And I agree with you. I think it's another area that still needs more awareness and more education. So if you're behind it, you're going to make a shift, Bob. I know it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. My last question is kind of fun and you might have more than one. If you could have dinner with someone and they could be living or they may have passed away, who would you want to meet and tell us why? Benjamin Franklin would be one, one of America's founders, fascinating, fascinating guy who developed his own character and skills and accomplished so much through what he did the experiences he had, I think it would be absolutely fascinating to, to speak with him. Another American uh, hero of mine is Booker T. Washington, 
who was born into slavery and then um, grew up to to be the head of um, Tuskegee uh, University and absolutely touched the lives of so many people, did things behind the scenes that many people don't know about. He doesn't get nearly the credit that he should. And, and what he did was absolutely miraculous. His writings, if you ever get a chance to read them, oh my goodness, he was just such a brilliant, brilliant man with a great heart. Those would be my two, my two people. Well, and, and it's just the fluency again of your love of reading and books and heart-centered leadership. It's just lovely how it all flows. And I'm just so grateful to have met you today. And I want to thank you for sharing your, your time and your expertise and your heart with us. Wow. Thank you. You're very, very kind. I'm so glad our mutual friend Ryan introduced us. I'm, I'm going to close out the show and I'm just going to ask you to finish this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? Doing the very best you can to touch another person's life in a way that brings out their best and helps them to feel genuinely good about themselves. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.